Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does its better. And welcome to part two of this week's Clash. So on Monday... Arnie wanted your clothes, but this is the sequel, so there's more of everything. Two Terminators, more action, and now Arnie wants your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. Yep, from 1991, we're talking Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Same make. These were taken at the West Highland Police Station, 1984. You were there. Same model. These were taken today. You have to let me see my son. He's in great danger. At the end of the show, we will declare the greatest Terminator movie ever. But which one will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. Men like you built the hydrogen bomb. Men like you thought it up. You think you're so creative. You don't know what it's really like to create something, to create a life. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. How are you both? Really Good. Well. Yeah. So uh, big, big, big. I feel like, you know, we had a little a week off last week. We stay tuned and uh, the cable guy. What do you mean a week off? Well, I, <laughs> if you let me finish, can't be reasoned with, can't be bargained with. It's Chris Tilly. I, I was going to say, in terms of the scale of the declaration we're making at the end, no one was like, I must know which was better. Stay tuned or the cable guy. But before that, Indy, big declaration to make. This is another big declaration to make the greatest Terminator movie ever. Just trying to build up a bit of tension, Chris. Okay. Really undermine that and me in the process. So a little bit angry, but, uh, uh, you know, more off a duck's back. So very quickly, if you haven't subscribed to us, if you would be kind enough to do so, that would be amazing. Uh, we are at Clash Pod, Clash of the Titles. Go on Apple Podcasts, uh, subscribe there, do this on Spotify. If you can leave a rating and review, that's awesome as well. And if you do leave a review, there's a chance that it might be read out on the show by Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly, which sounds a bit like this. This is from the old Matazzle, who says, Long-time listener, first-time reviewer. I love this podcast so much. Big laughs, solid insight, and just a really genuine appreciation of cinema all round. Highly recommend going back and listening from the beginning. Not that you need to for any kind of story arc or anything like that. There's just a lot to love, so why deprive yourself? Oh, so I'd like to say thanks to old Matazzle. Uh, but actually, we've been working really hard on this two-year story arc. <laughs> 
and the big twist is coming very soon. Ooh, so, how exciting. so watch this space. Yep. You're actually a goodie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you actually hate women. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow, that's building tension. I'm looking forward to this twist. Well done. Uh, that's that's a, that's a tension building exercise. There has been a bit of a story arc. I feel we've grown. I feel I haven't listened back to any of the old ones, but I do remember them being a little more fraught <laughs> than they, they are bit, these days. They? Yeah. It was a underlying, simmering. simmering it's ner- it was tension. nerves on my part. Yeah, yeah. it was. And it was uh, Chris and I were just sort of getting to know each other. Mm. And then we did and realised we just didn't like each yeah. other. <laughs> <laughs> figure out how far we could push it. <laughs> and then pushed way past. <laughs> so this is part two of Terminator vs. Terminator 2. Um, our films this week come so, have come from some friends on another pod. Uh, Chris, remind us who our friends are. Kevin and Will on the best bits goes to the best bits. Great fun. We love it. And they just did one on best robot scenes in movies, which Mm -hmm. ties in nicely with this. So check out the best bits. Uh, It is very good. Monday, we began our journey in 1984 when I wasn't even born. But today, V continues the story in 1991 when I wasn't even born. V, (laughs) take us on a journey. A lot can happen in seven years. One minute, you're an expectant parent. Fearful for the future, sure. Sad about facing the ups and downs of motherhood alone, but excited to be on the cusp of your next big adventure. The next minute, you're a lone wolf terrorist banged up in solitary under the care of sadistic mental health professionals estranged from your child, having given him nothing but a messiah complex, a challenging attitude to state-mandated care, and the skills to survive only if he needs to scam someone's debit card during the fallout of a nuclear apocalypse. Anyway, Sarah's in lockup. John's 10 years old with an attitude problem. Arnie's literally back, but he's a goodie. Robert Patrick has the world's scariest run and will end proceedings with a fight in an industrial setting where Sarah Connor presses big buttons and saves mankind. <laughs> Terminator 2. Same but different? Question mark. Same but better? Question mark. I honestly don't know. Let's find out. I don't know. <laughs> Very good. I mean, you said a lot can happen in seven years, including having a ten-year-old son. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> Wait, does it does it not add up? No, no. He 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 had to make the time difference bigger than it actually was. I mean, the time between the f- making the films is seven years, but the right. time between the films is not seven years. Right. Um, yeah. Did she push a. I remember the button pushing. Mm. Did she push a button in it? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. 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 Oh, you're just. I think you're just pushing Ricky's buttons right now. <laughs> oh, I don't mind. To that no. bit. No, she doesn't mind. She loves it. Probably <laughs> loves it. Uh, okay. Go All on. right. So I don't have an interesting story. I've, I've seen this once before, maybe twice, but I don't have any memories of watching it. I was excited to rewatch it. That's kind of it. What about you? Uh, watched it on VHS shortly after it came out for the first time. Bloody loved it. Hadn't seen Terminator, as I said, on Monday at this point, but didn't matter. Just thought this was incredible. Watched it about four or five times since then. But nothing quite compares to that first time as a teenager in the early 90s when you see this and you see the T-1000, the moment it walks out of the truck fire and you see the liquid metal form for the first time. I just mind blowing. Mm. Never seen anything like it before in my life. And I just remember being agog. Yeah. Which is a word I don't think I've used on the pod before. No. But I was agog at what I was seeing. I remember seeing the teaser in the cinema and that was exciting. And I watched Terminator not long before. That was exciting. And it felt like a true event that summer. And also I was old enough to sneak into 15s. Well, when I say sneak, I would get my mum to buy the tickets. Mm-hmm. 
And so this is one of the first 15s I saw that summer. So seeing this on the big screen as well was immense. And it was just... Have you ever seen anyone thrown out for not... Because that feeling of sneaking in when you're that age is pretty daring. Mm. Like it feels like you are going to get the tap on the shoulder. Excuse me, you're not old enough to see this film. I don't think anyone ever got thrown out. I've told you I was about so seven years old, probably. When did Aliens come out? 86. 86. So yeah, I was seven years old and we were walking into the Odeon in, in Leeds and my mum and dad were going to see Aliens and I thought I was going to see Aliens only to be diverted off with my gran and little brother to see Care Bears the movie and I attempted <laughs> to sneak out of that and into Aliens and and it wasn't the cinema but my gran who uh, put the kibosh on that cunning plan so I had to sit through Care Bears the fucking movie. I don't know what's more terrifying. <laughs> just, I mean, I never even expressed any interest in, in the Care Bears. It was like of all the movies you could have put us in, it felt like some sort of weird punishment. It's like not only are we going to see Aliens, but you're going to see a movie that it's, isn't for you. It, you're seven now. You, even you know the Care Bears are fucking bullshit. I love that film. <laughs> oh, no, it was bad. It was bad. I've seen it loads. Oh, yeah. Um. Okay, so I've done some research this week. So I mean, you were so good on T one. You were quite quick. Uh, so if I yeah, if I wander a bit, just tell me to really. On, yeah. I think it was actually one of our longer pods. Chris, really, Chris said it was going to be quick, and once again, I chose to prove him wrong. I didn't feel as frustrated as I normally do when, <laughs> <laughs> when, you're, when you're going on and on. Really pushing my buttons now. There you go. You see, you love it too, though. Okay, mm. so um, The Terminator is a smash. So discussions about a sequel do start almost immediately. Uh, but legal and rights issues are what delayed things. So as you said, Hemdale Film on the rights. James Cameron and Arnie were not keen on working with them. Schwarzenegger saying we wanted to stay as far away from them as we could. Um, so then eventually... Does he say why? why was I think... No, I couldn't find out why. They just, I don't know, they didn't like him. And they'd sort of sworn not to make it without the other, so right. it wasn't going to happen. Um, but eventually, just through time, Hemdale have financial troubles, and so Schwarzenegger goes to Carol Carr. Um, he loves this play, doesn't he? Does, he yeah. loves this play. They're in financial troubles. Mario! Yeah, Mario! Can <laughs> oh, you Mario, buy it? Mario got a plan. <laughs> yeah. So Mario Casso uh, pays Hemdale, well, I read $5 million to sort out the rights. Um, everything's sorted by May 1990. The date is important because then they decide to aim for the 4th of July release, so July the 3rd, 91. It's nuts. Yeah. It's nuts that Absolutely they did all this mad. in a year. Yeah. I, was, I, I couldn't believe it when I read that. I was like, is that right? <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? One year. Now, so obviously in the intervening years, the, so as you said, Chris, the shape changing the little, sorry, liquid metal aspect of the T-1000 was something that James Cameron wanted in the first Terminator film, but it actually wasn't technically possible. And, and what I didn't get to say, because I'd, I'd actually trailed it at the start of the last episode, is also he'd heard that Carpenter was making something similar about a shape-shifting monster. And he didn't want to. He didn't know exactly what Carpenter was doing, but he didn't want to look like he was copying his mate because oh. he was already copying him by doing a Halloween. Yeah. Um. So yeah, obviously that was the thing. But that was sort of how the thing influenced. I don't film. think I'd have. Would you? I wouldn't have no. drawn a through line between the thing and Terminator if he had been able to do it back then. No, I think it would have been too different. Uh, and he knew it would be expensive. So Mario Casso said that Cameron said to him, this is going to be an expensive movie because I'm going to do so many amazing effects you've never seen before. In fact, let me go spend the money and show you how it will look. So he made like a presentation of the effects. And Mario Casso in this interview I read said it cost, this presentation that he did before the movie was even shot was around $17 million <laughs> to show him what it was going to look like. But he said when you saw the way he was going to do it, you fell from your chair. Because this was, at the time, this would go on to be the most expensive movie ever made. Yeah. So James Cameron and William Wisher. Which weirdly, just very quickly, which weirdly, when you hear that now, I think it comes with 
bad connotations. I think when you when someone talks about this is going to be the most expensive movie ever made or one of them, like when you think about John Carter or something, like it's sort of like oh, that doesn't mean as much. But back then in the nineties, when people said Terminator Two is the most expensive movie ever made, that was an exciting sentence to hear. You were like, "What am I going to see?" I think because we knew it was going to be a lot of money would be spent on effects, and we knew that we had a big star that. You, there was something to be excited about because you were, you, for the money, the promise is you're going to see something you've never seen before. Hmm. And it's the guy that did Aliens. Yeah. So yeah. you saw where he took that and, to the next And also, uh, didn't half that 108 million or something go on fees for Cameron and Arnie? Like they yeah. got paid. He got paid a lot oh, of money. A lot, a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, James Cameron writes it with William Wisher. Who I, I listened to uh, a podcast called Script Apart. I think it was called Script Apart uh, recently where they did a sort of to interview with William Wisher about this film and he was saying that he he would for the seven years in between both movies he played racquetball with Cameron every week and so they developed this for seven years this idea because they were just hanging out with each other and so that's how they managed to sort of get through all the different ideas I'm sure you're going to say some of them how mm. they sort of whittled it down to this but didn't Cameron say he didn't do any actually write, any actual writing on it <laughs> yeah had no. to give him a credit <laughs> didn't want to um, this, the first shooting draft so it was pared down. So the, the initial script was a lot longer. There are some sequences that didn't make it in um, where uh, John defeats Skynet, breaking into the time displacement lab, and you see him sending Carl Reese back um, and then discovers a room filled with unactivated Terminators. But that doesn't make it into the shooting script. I think um, didn't both those ideas make it into Salvation? Though? I haven't seen it. Oh, I think both of them are in there. And before they even got to shooting script, the, they toyed with the idea of having two Schwarzeneggers as well. Yeah. And one Schwarzenegger fighting another one, which I think would have been cool. We hadn't seen that before, really. Yeah. But um, Cameron decided it was too much of a gimmick. And to make him an underdog, he didn't want him to fight himself. He wanted to fight something that we didn't, that you would be scared of, mm. uh, that was unknown. So the script that gets distributed um, is 124 pages. Uh, BJ Rack, who's a co-producer on the film, recalled the day it arrived and said, we all looked at it and we were horrified. <laughs> Excuse me. It was going to be the biggest picture ever made. Every sequence was like the ending of Die Hard. And obviously they've got, by this point, that's around July. So they've got like less than, yeah, less than a year to get everything done and dusted. So that's quite scary. In order to get it filmed, I read uh, that... James Cameron spent Christmas Eve editing, but he bought an RV so he could have meetings on his way to the set. So I sort of imagine him like Scooby-Doo, like pulling up outside your house, get in, <laughs> and then drives you to work, shouting at you. Um, so casting, Arnie is back, obviously. My best, my favourite camera impression is one that French and Saunders did on one of their Christmas specials where he's directing Titanic. And he's on like one of those, like a jib chair, a director's chair that's attached to a big mechanical arm. And he's like floating around the set with his shotgun firing it <laughs> <at laughs> off when that's anyone funny. annoys him. It's weird, isn't it? Because you talk about like the quiet intensity of the man. Like everything you read about him, he is unrelenting and terrifying you know he's famous for saying that was perfect do it again <laughs> things like that but when you see an interview with him he doesn't look he's quite slight I don't know but yeah he's you know. big though he's Very a really tall, tall guy okay with a temper yeah uh, Arnie gets um, 11 to 15 million up front which apparently some of the payments took the form of a Gulfstream G3 jet that's what I read <laughs> <laughs> yeah. can you imagine that so uh, your fee on it yeah it's a jet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted it. <laughs> and he's, but jet. He's got a lot of side agreements that mean he's going to get some profit participation. Um, a jet. You get a plane for doing a job. <laughs> Just listen to that sentence. <laughs> I don't think I'd want the. Pl- what are you going to do with it? Fly like, places. Yeah, I suppose. What else are you going to do Sell with it? Sell it for money. <laughs> Just give me the money. 
Um, but also, obviously, the big thing is Arnie is good. Um, he said he didn't want, you know, he didn't want my kid to eyes like someone that goes around and kills. And James Cameron said, you know, do you want someone who's looked up to you by millions of kids? Because obviously, in the intervening years, Arnie is the most megastar that there is. And he's, you know, if he's going to be blowing up people with a machine gun, that's just not what they want. So they want a story that's about his redemption. Although, this is a story I read about Arnie on set. So they tell me if you think this sounds like a good guy or not, because I didn't like this. Um, apparently, on one day of filming, when this journalist is here that I read this um, piece by, it was uncredited, which is why I haven't said their name. Um, he goes, Wait, sorry. So the journalist didn't put their name on this yeah, piece? Yeah, yeah, which is why I can't. Which is why it's dubious. Yeah, it is. I, yeah. I mean, you, well, how is it journalism if you go, yeah, this definitely happened, but don't put my name on it. Do you want to hear the story, though? Yeah. Apparently, he goes over to a crew member and goes, you could do the impression. He goes, open your mouth. So the crew member does, and he starts throwing almonds into this person's mouth. And because it's Arnie, and the crew member kind of has to do it. So he's jumping around trying to catch these nuts. Mm. Um, and then later complains about it and says, you know what, that's actually really humiliating. And Arnie just laughed at him and said, that's what separates leaders from followers. <laughs> Which is, you know, I don't know if that's you true. Should never, you should never force your nuts in another man's mouth. <laughs> here, here. Um, so, Tall temper. <laughs> um, a massive casting search begins for John Connor. Uh, Cameron's saying, what was Julius Caesar like when he was 13? Did he know then that he was going to be the emperor of Rome? And imagine if such an important leader was from the valley. Um, but Edward Furlong is cast, like from the street. Like I read somewhere else that he was just playing basketball or baseball. Like, I, I, So I found that th- these two quite odd guys uh, started posting their junket interviews from the 80s and 90s as a podcast. And I found two and a half hours of their Terminator 2 roundtable interviews where they talked to Edward Furlong when he's a little kid. You know, just after he's made this, and he was he was playing in the boys' club of Pasadena right. when they found him, and they asked him if he wanted to be in Terminator Two, and he went home to tell his aunt and uncle who he lives with, and they said these people are trying to get money off you. You're right, not going to be yeah. in Terminator Two, <laughs> <laughs> which is a fair. Which is what you would do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say he was well cast though, because I remember like there was no other kid because uh, we I was around the same age as uh, yeah him when this this came out I, I, there was no other kid I'd ever seen in a movie that I really wanted to be as much as John Connor I used to I started dressing like him I had like a black denim shirt and I, I just I thought he was the coolest kid cool, in a movie yeah. and normally it was adults that you idolise you're like oh yeah I want to be like them and I got like Indiana Jones or something but John Connor was like I was properly into him you still it? seem like you want to be him I think I do a little bit I still got <laughs> hair like him I straightened my hair so I look like John Connor <laughs> I mean, it is nuts how good he is. He's just this kid, you know, he's had no training and he is amazing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, Linda Hamilton is obviously back. I think she did have quite a hard time, like she always does with him. Um, I read uh, to support this idea that James Cameron is hard work. Apparently the crew T-shirts sort of as an homage to him said, I'm not opinionated, I'm just always right, which is quite funny. Maybe we should get a few of those. <laughs> uh, Robert Patrick, should, it, should I? What? <laughs> <laughs> Rude. Um, James Cameron wanted someone for the T-1000 someone who is extremely fast and agile if the T-800 can be compared to a human panzer tank then the T-1000 series is a Porsche Um, and that's kind of it oh no I wanted to talk about the marketing and the posters because Chris Tilly we, you've said to me that that you knew that Arnie was good before you saw this film is that true? Mm. yeah um so yeah, I mean, I just don't remember the marketing, and I've seen the pulses, but I don't remember. On a motorcycle they did it. They did it. Gun. They did it in three different stages okay. where they kept it a secret, a surprise early on, and then as the release got nearer, they started putting it in the trailers. Right. Okay. And there was just this huge marketing push with the tie-in. So there was a novelization, pinball games, an arcade game, cups, badges, trading cards, stickers. 
fucking Guns N' Roses song, um, You Could Be Mine, is in the film and the music video there in Terminator 2, which is obviously amazing. And this all worked brilliantly because it broke box office worldwide when it opened. It won four Oscars. It won a screenwriting award and it set a very high bar for what computer-generated effects could do, um, particularly with the morphine effect that the T-1000 does. And obviously there's loads of prosthetics and puppets from Stan Winston Studios, but the CGI was the big deal. And, you, you know, you talk about... My overriding memory of this film prior to watching it this week is emerging, melting, after he shattered, after the T-1000 has shattered and then just morphing back. Mm. Like, it's amazing. It was the biggest film of the year in America, but it wasn't the biggest film of the year in England. I remember this. In 91. Yeah, because that's when I was paying attention to this nonsense. Home Alone 2. No, it's a film we've done actually on the podcast that came out, I reckon, about a month before in England. And they, they were reversed in America. It was second in America. And it was set in England. No, I got nothing. I mean, I know you don't like dead air, but you're really... Sorry, because I really want to get it right. <laughs> Give us a clue. Uh, it's set in Nottingham. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> One point to me. What, fair enough. Got That's another quiz. That's another film. quiz. Great quiz. <laughs> Shut up. No, I've been there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> Did you read? I just want to put this bit of trivia in because it makes me feel sick. The the um, the noise. There's lots of different noises and <laughs> responsible like on the foley for the noise oh, that the T1000 makes. I just makes. listened to the commentary, so I think I know this because they kept bringing this bloke out to say what the noises. So the were. one that I read that was like, what? for some reason, it makes me feel just sick. Is uh, when the T1000 is transforming, one of the noises is you put a condom over a microphone and you dip it into porridge. <laughs> ah. Well, another one for that noise when it's coming out of the ceiling is um, the oozing of dog food out of a dog tin. <laughs> Somehow a condom over a microphone. It feels unnecessary that it's a condom. I think that's the weird thing. I, I thought you were going to say uh, the sound of the, the children's skulls being stamped on in no. the beginning. That is... Um, Pistachios being broken. Oh no! And it was, Stan Winston's team were saying it was quite miserable that day. They had to make twenty-eight children's skulls. Oh to my be god! On. That is really that's a really miserable day at work. Now, oh, that's annoying. <laughs> <Not them. laughs> all right. Anyway, that's all I've got. So, shall we talk about the film? Yes. So we're back in the blasted landscape of twenty twenty-nine, but it's loads better to me this time. I know you like the sort of yeah, I like the low-fi one. Yeah. Uh, and there's a voiceover to bring you up to speed, um, which I think gets a pass from me because of the amount of time that has passed. But you do get to play on if you don't know who the goodie is and who the baddie is, because uh, Sarah affirms that once again, a Terminator has been sent back, but also a lone warrior. So I guess if you didn't know, there's, yep. you know, you can play around with who's good and who's bad. My missus didn't know and she got it a little bit before. Um, it was revealed but she didn't know straight away she wasn't expecting it at all okay and it's interesting because I think I did know when I watched it because this is this the film starts exactly or more or less exactly the same as T1 and then Arnie's here um, and he needs your boots on your motorcycle so when he walks into the bar and he like wastes those dudes mm. you don't feel bad for them in the way that I felt bad for the punks the Bill Paxton punks and that can only be because well, he doesn't I'm rip like... anyone's heart <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I feel worse if I see someone's heart being ripped out as opposed to someone who gets a little bit burnt on some hobs but he gets stabbed in the back as well like but nothing the hob lethal. thing is nuts like... Bill Paxton gets his heart ripped out or it's yeah. not Bill Paxton the other guy gets his heart yeah. ripped out I guess the idea is he gets burnt because he burnt him no oh, yeah fine i mean I, I i will say the moment that he steps out of the bar and bad to the bone comes on that's the moment mm. you know you're in a very very different film to the I first agree. terminator so, yeah. when they were writing the script william wisher came up with that uh, idea of using that song and cameron said to him no way that's too on the nose um 
And then a few months later, when they're editing it, he called Bill in and said, I've just come up with this great idea. We're going to use bad to the bone on this scene. And Wisher went, yes, that's a great idea, James. Yeah, well done. Well, <laughs> never listen. He did. He said he was annoyed at first, then stopped himself from complaining as he realised he'd won the argument and got what he wanted. And none of the credit. <laughs> so, it's... Is that a win? <laughs> no, it's like with me when I discuss films for this podcast with Alex. Yeah, you have to see someone it, seed it six months idea. earlier yeah. and then eventually you'll think it's his idea. Yeah, there's a story about uh, William Wisher. Uh, <laughs> he actually suggested Bad to the Bow. Very good. But yeah, I agree with you. You know, T1 is a, is a gritty film to me, to my eyes. Mm. Like the way it looks, mm. it is a horror film. It is. Um, this is not that. And yeah. that made me relax more because yeah. I knew that I wasn't going to feel that sort of existential dread. I was going to be entertained and a little bit scared, but within the parameters of the safety of, of basically an we're, action film. We're having fun now, basically. Mm. Yeah. That's what that tells you. Yeah. So we meet Robert Patrick. Um, Robert Patrick said he saw the T-1000 as a praying mantis. So head tilted forward and the ears being the focus of the movement. He is incredible in this. He's scary yeah. as fuck. He saw, I know, this is the movie that made him, really. He'd been, he had maybe one line or did he have, have what, does he have a line in Die Hard? Yeah, he's got one mm. line in Die Hard 2. Uh, and that was pretty much his biggest thing today. And then he's sort of, they go, we want him for this. And he is absolutely phenomenal. I think watching it this time, like with that analytical podcast head on, you just like every movement he mm. makes is phenomenal. When he's at the door to the foster parents' house yeah. and just his mannerisms, so good. Yeah. When um he showed the script, Cameron showed the script to um Stan Winston, Winston said that he he told he read it, told him he liked it, but he thought there was a problem with the villain that was like the thing. He reckoned that the thing wasn't a hit because you the, the villain didn't have an identity because it was this shape-shifting thing. It never had a face. And so people couldn't, it wasn't memorable you to people. You latch onto it, yeah. Exactly. And so he said, I feel like you need the character needs the face. And Cameron said, you're wrong. Went home and then called him up later and said, he's a cop. Mm. Yeah. I decided he's a cop. And Winston said, I wouldn't normally come out publicly say this, but Jim always takes credit for my stuff and I'm cool with that. So I'm, this is the one thing I'm going to take credit for. That was my it was my idea to, to, to do something different. It's a really clever bit at the start with Robert Patrick where you they hide the fact that he's a shapeshifter because he kills the cop mm. and then he reappears in the cop's uniform yeah. and your brain immediately goes that he's stolen, he stolen yeah, yeah. the cop's yeah. uniform. But obviously it's clever because he's an authority figure so he can go where he likes, do what he wants and people won't question him. Yeah. He is an infiltration unit. Yeah. We got there in the end. <laughs> yeah. But it is also, it's the same thing we were talking about with Terminator. It's a dismantling of the pillar that is, the, the societal pillar that is the police force because suddenly the police force is the enemy. Yeah, well, I mean, it purposely closes up on to protect and serve on the side <laughs> of the car because <laughs> yeah. it, it's ironic now. Yeah. Um, so then we meet John, who is sassing his foster parents and listening to Guns N' Roses. Uh, but he's got good reason to be She's angry. She's not my mother, Todd. Yeah, I love that line. Always, not my real dad. Um, his mum is doing fucking chin-ups in an asylum, so he's bound to be um, a bit off the rails. So this, you know, this is amazing. Like, you know, the first time you see this, this is so galling and so upsetting that the progression that you haven't seen of where she was, you know, where she was at the end of T1. She's obviously scared, but she seems quite resolute and she seems like, you know, she probably can handle what's ahead and anything can happen in her story, but it's gone very wrong, I think, for her. Um, it would be interesting to see the progression, you know, presumably when she had him as a baby, she wasn't this person. Um, but yeah, you know, and, you know, John explains to his friend that she tried to blow up a computer factory, which is why she's now locked up. 
Um, but yeah, it's just an amazing thing to do with that character. And so, you know, like I say, so, so genuinely upsetting mm. that her path has been, it's the right path and all the rest of it, but, you know, it could have gone a different way. And have you seen the deleted scene from, from this sequence? No. Uh, where there's a dream sequence now where she they, they cut out a scene where they they forcibly give her drugs. They kind of beat her up actually, so it's more understandable when they get their comeuppance, the security guards. But she has a she wakes up and um, Kyle Reese is there. Uh, Michael Bean's in the film and he 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 asks where the son is. Um, he tells her there's he's the target now. He's all alone. You have to protect him. Tell her she's strong. He says on your feet, soldier. Uh, tells her that he loves her and it'll always be with her. Um, and remember the message, the future is not set. And Linda Hamilton said she hated having to do that scene. Right. Because um, she didn't feel like Sarah was a character who needed to be motivated anymore, and certainly not by a man. Mm. That she, that was the character from seven years ago, and that wasn't the character now. And she said that halfway through the shoot, she actually re-watched the first film when she couldn't watch it because she hated her voice, she hated how, how weak the character was because she just mentally had changed so much and her perception of this character. So um, she demanded that they take the scene out and, and Cameron says he took it out for time. But I think, I think what she says does make sense. Yeah, I mean, apart from, yeah, totally. Just the on your feet soldier is what she says to him in T1 in mm. the factory when he's been hurt, when Kari's has been hurt. So it could be, it could be not, being told what to do by a man or it could be a nice reminder between the two of them as you did this for me yeah. and I'm, I'm not saying I need to do it for you, but I'm just reminding you of your strength. Because they were in love and she loved him. And yeah. so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not just anyone. And Cameron me. also said that it sort of took away from the second dream sequence. I don't think you can have two dream sequences. Fair enough, is, yeah. Is, That's a better point. Yeah. Well, Terminator 1 has two dream sequences. Um, And we meet Miles Dyson at Cyberdyne who's just working on some top secret shit which was developed from fragments of the T-800 left behind, which I fucking love even though it is a bootstrap paradox and shouldn't make any sense. Mm. But I love that. And I didn't even really care that it was a bit like, oh yeah, we found this thing and <laughs> there's not much behind that. I was just like, that's awesome because I'd forgotten that bit to be honest. Yeah. Weird though that they walk through a sealed door to get into the vault so we can see the arm and the microchip. And they walk through a sealed door into a room where everyone is wearing hazmat suits and they're not. And I'm just sort of like, well, what is it? Is it a room where you wear a suit or not? You can't have both. Yeah, Those just... people should be like, what the fuck are you doing, Miles? Put a suit on. Again, that's the most unbelievable moment so far in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, very soon we'll go shopping, but let's have a short break. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com ACAST. Right, so let's go to the Galleria and John is going to find out big time that his mum did not lie to him. Did you see the game he's playing? No. Missile Command, uh, a game where you have Mm. to prevent uh, nuclear Armageddon by destroying the nukes before they hit the surface of the earth. That's That's so brilliant. Mm. That's brilliant. Um, so here I mean, comes... unbelievable. It's 1991. Yes. No one was playing Missile no. Command in an arcade. No. Afterburner, sure, but not Missile Command, but it's a great gag. Okay. I just feel a bit weird now, but fine. <laughs> what? Why? I just, that was just some geek stuff that I don't know anything about. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be judging. No, no, sorry, sorry. Sorry, yeah, sorry. sorry, sorry. sorry. judgment. Because I've, I've got some really geeky <laughs> stuff coming out. <laughs> um, so here's Arnie with a box of roses, which isn't a box of roses, it's a fucking massive gun. <laughs> I nearly shouted out, Guns N' Roses when I was in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was the only person that spotted that. Oh, shit. Do you yeah, think yeah. it's a reference yes. to <laughs> I do. I just thought it looked fucking cool. I never put two and two together. Wow. It's amazing. And it's he, great. And here's the T-1000. So the, look, what I love about this fight is mostly um, on Robert Patrick and his movements. And obviously there's some puppet work, but the way that his head hits the floor with his eyes open is just the scariest thing you've ever seen because it should hurt and it's, he's human, but not. And the run. Now, his run, you know how much I love Forrest Gump's run? Mm-hmm. This is the dark side of that run. Because he's got the same focus, mm-hmm. but he is a... a a cold and it's all killer. him and it's all him they didn't do anything special that's mm. how he not how he runs because what he did was he um tilts his head slightly forward in the film because he feels like it gives him more of a sense of forward motion for the character whatever it is it's working yeah because you do believe he's as fast as a car <laughs> and he ain't he ain't as fast as a car you believe he could run forever as well like yes. Forrest Gump can yeah it's amazing yeah, I, um, ju- I just have written down way T one thousand runs. Yeah. It's the Fed sit- doesn't ball his fists either. Mm-hmm. It's all about aerodynamic. Yeah, because you don't want to waste movement. You're a robot. You run on a battery. I know the batteries last forever, but you you wouldn't. You, there's no. Uh, you don't have any luxury to waste movement, eye movement, everything. It's really really clever. Um, so we've got this insane chase down. Oh. What? Oh, the chase. The chase. <laughs> the bit from the, the just as a kid, it was the most exciting thing watching the way Arnie reloaded the shotgun mm. by twirling it round. I just yeah. remember seeing that and just going, I think I've just seen the coolest thing in a movie ever. This might be it. And then when it, the jump down into like the LA riverbed, it's like on the motorcycle. Have you, se- have you seen T2 3D? 
the the show at yeah. Universal Studios. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I wa- it had shut by the time. I, I was went. watching some behind the scenes stuff from that, and I wish I hadn't now because they showed him trying to do the shotgun thing and getting it wrong over and over again. And I was like, oh, I just want to... Oh. In my head, Arnie can just do that. He, he didn't even need to practice. Yeah, forget that ever happened. So there's just an insane amount of action. It's an amazing sequence. The best bit for me is just, you know, because it ties into the story and it's not just sort of... There's nothing wrong with mindless action, but it's brilliant when you can button that with a bit of story. So when the tyre from the truck rolls out of the flames... And Arnie tries to shoot it because, you know, so, the, so John Crow's like, what are you doing? Kind of with a look. But he's like, anything can walk out of here. But you wouldn't think that, you know, because you've just, the explosion you've just seen. I never put two together. So he's he thinks that the wheel might be the T-1000. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. I, think that, I think that's great. <laughs> um, and, it, and if he'd hung around a bit longer, he would have seen it that he walks out, mm. but he's gone by then anyway. I don't think, I actually, I don't think it is that because he would have shot, I think he would have shot at it and he just sort of, I think, I think you've added something better that James Cameron didn't think of. <laughs> oh my god, again! No, I, just, I really think he just thought it, it's the it's the age old. Is that going to be the villain? No, it's just a tie. Oh, okay. And then we get a bit of exposition. So about the T one thousand, which I'm bringing up because I sort of third, maybe third time I've watched this, I'm still a little bit confused. Not that it detracts from the experience about what the T one thousand actually is capable of. So Arnie explains it's more advanced than I am. It can imitate anything it touches, but it has to be an equal size. It can't do complex machines. And I like in T1, they, the way that Carl Reese talks about, oh, why we're naked and machines can't come through. And that, oh, I bought that. That kind of made sense. This thing about being equal size, I bought that. But then later on, the T1000 like becomes a checkered floor. And I mm. just didn't get but what was going on. But it spreads out over mm. the same floor area oh, that okay. the term mass would yeah. be. Yeah. yeah. It's not a critic. It's just I just didn't really. I was like, I really need to get a handle on what you're capable of because if you you can't be anything, but it looks to me like you can be anything. No, just solid objects. It's it's complex moving parts. I mean, look, I think some of this is just um for. Uh, I think he's closing down arguments that people would have like hmm. after this movie going, "Why did you just become a bomb?" It's like I didn't I, in the first movie. I never really bought that bit where Kyle Reese goes on about uh, how. And uh, nothing, nothing dead can travel back through the the time jump, you know. And they're like, but the Terminator, like, yeah, he's got <laughs> living, <from> <laughs> he's got living skin on the outside. It's like, it seems like a very selective and, time yeah. machine. And there's a scene that they cut from the film that kind of explains a bit more, where he's in John's room and he's touching everything. He's almost reading it all like Braille, and he's touch, he touches a poster and can tell that there's something behind it. And it's like he's sampling everything mm-hmm. in case he wants to turn into anything. But I think Cameron felt like. People will see this later in the film. We don't need this explained. It's on me. I just, I, I just got a bit hooked onto the exposition. And in this scene, this is where this just to talk about like the emotional underpinning of the story. This is where John realizes his mum was telling the truth. And actually, I think this is quite important. And it's probably why you wanted to be Edward Furlow or the character of John Connor when you were little, because he learns this really seismic thing, but it doesn't undo him. And it could do in a ten-year-old child. Like I was raised this way, then it was a lie. Oh my god, it's the fucking truth! Like he's only ten, but he is, he's cool with it, kind of thing. But I think he, I think he's really happy about it because I yeah. think he always wanted his mum not to be a psycho, and so the worst part of his life was when he thought it was all bullshit. And so mm. now, rather than being like, yeah. "Oh, how do I deal with this?" It's like, "Yay, celebration!" Yeah. And my reading of uh, Sarah Connor's take on motherhood is so you can argue that she's kind of checked out of it a bit um, because so when she rails at the psychiatrist in the office, you know that's her. She's being wound up, but by attacking the psychiatrist she's ruining her chance to see her son in a legitimate way like you know this you'll have to be in here for another six months so that's kind of being a crap mum I would argue she is the most devoted mum in a a very extreme version of motherhood because 
She knows how important it is that he, that her son is strong without anyone and particularly without her. So she's raising him in this cold, brutal way so that she knows he will survive and going against the instinct to protect him and to cosset him and to coddle him and to, to show him love. So later on when he's crying, which we'll come back to, she ignores him. But I think she's ignoring him because she she would want to cuddle him. But, but... She, she makes him cry because she doesn't believe that he's strong on his own. Like she believes he's making stupid decisions by coming to rescue her. She's telling him off for that. Yeah, she's scolding him for that and she's made him cry. Mm. But she doesn't then go comfort him. Well, he's crying because as well, he's crying because he thinks she's given her a cuddle, but he's, she's checking that he's not injured. Yeah. She's checking him for injuries. And so... Yeah. Um, it's you see his vulnerability there because all you realise all he really wants is a hug and she's not going to give that to him. I feel that she feels her training of him to become this self-sufficient person has been interrupted by her being locked away. I think I don't think she's convinced that he can look after himself. I think the bit where she's talking to the psychiatrist and goes, he's naked without me. Yeah. I think that's genuine. I think she does feel that well, he is at risk. And that's what that dream sequence is telling you because Carl Reese, who doesn't exist, is telling her that he need he's alone and he needs her. So that's what she's thinking. Mm. I don't think she is detached from her son. I think she loves him so much that she's and she's sacrificing so much of her natural expression of her love for her son because she needs him to be tough as nails. Yeah, it's tough love. It's literally tough love yeah. is, is what is what she's been doing. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, as as not a mother, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, so she's rescued, but she was kind of doing it anyway. Then, you know, she's got a... Oh, the bit where she swings the truncheon behind her and skips down the corridor. Yeah, Badass. it's so good. It's so good. And, Badass. you know, the classic, she's in, an, she's in an interview suite and you don't leave a paperclip in front of a psycho, but everybody does. <laughs> so fine. And then she has her face licked by this evil mental health professional. So that's good because then when she smacks him over the head, he kind of had that come in. Yeah, we skipped over one bit that I only want to touch on briefly because it's the first time you see the T-1000 actually shapeshift into a blade, which is where he kills oh, the foster, the foster parents. Because yeah. it's it's coupled with two great moments, because again, I hadn't seen the first Terminator, but where he puts on John's voice, Arnie puts on John's voice yeah. and, and goes, how's Wolfie? And it's like, Wolfie's fine, honey. And then you, it just pulls out to reveal it going through the milk carton and through Todd's thing. And I was just like, that's the first time you'd seen the blade. Like that's the first time you realised the T one thousand could do that, and it's fucking brilliant. It's brilliant. The voice stuff is all really good, and I look. It's quite a simple thing that if you can't get your head around what these machines can do, very basically, Arnie can do voices, and Robert Patrick can do shapes. It's like I get that. Um, so yeah, so this I mean, this amazing sequence, like through the hospital, she's face to face with Arnie. She's screaming, he'll kill us all. And then he says, come with me if you want to live, which is just awesome. The whole bit where he comes out of the lift and she's like scrabbling back on the floor trying to get away from him and then John runs out. I had tears in my eyes. It's a really, really great moment. This yeah. whole asylum sequence is brilliant from the T-1000 putting the they pin through the... They're, they're twins in real life, those oh. two guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we had we did them on Gremlins 2. Oh, they're the doctors in Christopher they, they Lee's lab. They both get to be in that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's just great. This this whole sequence is epic. Yeah, it is amazing. And so the the escape. I love the fact that when the T one thousand gets like this, he sort of like crab claws onto the car. Mm. My only gripe is like, I wish we'd stop shooting it because it has no effect, and there's a lot of shooting of a machine. It slows it down. Though. I don't, but it doesn't really. <laughs> it does every time it gets hit. That's how they manage to. 
get away. And in- indeed, shooting it is how they snap off its hook, which is in the boot of the car. Yeah, I don't know. It just didn't feel like it was doing anything. It looks fucking cool, all it right, does, Victoria. Yeah, it it explodes good. in massive silver holes. It looks great. It yeah, makes yeah. a sound not dissimilar to something out of the thing when he splits it in two outside the lift and it goes... Yeah, it's good. So good. Uh, the sound <laughs> good. of the bullets is a microphone slamming into a bucket of yogurt. With a condom on, and, that, and that's the, and that's, <laughs> that's the, the one, worst bit. <laughs> and that's the one that looks CG, doesn't it? And and then watching those behind the scenes, it's all completely practical. It, it's called they call them foil flowers that open. Yeah, mm. on, there's on a point suit. in it's the so steel clever. mill where you can just tell that because they look like they're protruding outwards rather than in, but only for a second. Yeah, but it looks better than when you get it cuts to the CGI when they disappear yes, because obviously that true. has really dated now yeah, yeah, yeah. in in a that's way that true. that hasn't dated. Um, so we're on the run, and then a midsection voiceover, which I'm obviously not going to be a fan of, but it's it's mm. fine. So I didn't know if it was necessary either. Not at all, not at all. Not which at all. bit? Sorry, the, when, when they we're visit... on the run and they're in that sort of compound. Oh yeah, it, weirdly, this is the bit as a kid I got a bit bored. Yeah, because yeah. it's this voiceover. It's, she's got some cool lines, Sarah <gasps> Connor. But she does get the, the the thing that fucked me up as a kid: the the dream sequence. Yeah. The yeah. nuclear war dream mm. sequence. I t- I've told you before on the show, that was my biggest fear in the like late 80s, early 90s, watching this scene and reading When the Wind Blows by Raymond Briggs. Those two things combined. Mm. I used to look out my bedroom window and be terrified of just seeing a mushroom cloud on the horizon, realising yeah. I had about 10 seconds before the wave hit me and I was I dead. It must have been something at school, though, because I was equally terrified of the same thing. And I read all this like uh, CND literature about when this comes, mm. this is what's going to happen. Then I read all these Douglas Coupland books about the, the that moment where you realise it's going to happen. I was obsessed with it for years. I don't feel like that anymore. I don't know why. No, I don't either. Yeah. Well, it's because I think, you know... We've got all the shit to think about. <laughs> exactly. Other <laughs> things to be worried about. So Sarah's VO is about... It's it's fine, but it's like kind of shoehorning this idea that Arnie is going to be like John's daddy kind of thing. Mm. Um, I'm surprised by her at this point. Like, John, Connor and Arnie are talking and he's talking about his mum. You know, she was shacked up with a green beret and like any man she could learn something from. <laughs> yeah, that line is a little bit like... John, she's still your mum, all right? Yeah. Dunk, 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 right. She'd shack up with anyone who could teach her anything. <laughs> yeah. It's like, fucking hell, dude. It just surprises me that the way of explaining how she's learned her skills, because it doesn't get much more explanation, is that she'd find a man, um, enter into a relationship with that man and get that man to teach her. And there are other mm. ways that she could have done it. It surprises me that mm. she needed needed a man kind of thing. Yeah, agreed. And I also thought, I noticed for this time, how similar the story arc is to Aliens where um, between Sarah and the Terminator because in Aliens Ripley doesn't trust Bishop because mm. of what she witnessed in the first movie yeah. but over the course of the second movie she comes to trust and respect him that's exactly the story arc that Sarah and the Terminator have True and also the way uh, Michael Bean teaches Sarah uh, how to use weaponry in the motel in Terminator is very similar to Hicks teaching Ripley how to it use is. a pulse rifle yes. in Aliens It's the same scene It pretty much is um, yeah. <laughs> With with one half of the same actors in as well. (laughs) The most famous deleted scene happens around here, um, where it's when they're in the gas station actually, just before here, and uh, Sarah Connor peels back the skin on um, the Terminator's head Mm. and removes the learning chip in his head, which renders him brain dead. And she goes to hammer the chip, and John stops her, and he says, "We need him. We need it." And she doesn't trust the Terminator at this point. She says, "No," and they have a big argument. And then he turns around to her and says, but if I'm going to be this great leader, you've got to listen to me once in a while. And so she does. And she wakes him back up and the Terminator's like, was there a problem? He doesn't realise that he was nearly killed. But this is like the first step on the path to his future, which we lose from this from this sequence because um, it's the first time Sarah sort of starts realising, oh, John has 
John does have something here. He knows something. He's he's got something about him. And I'm gutted for them as well because how they shot the scene because they're in front of a mirror is they used Linda Hamilton's twin sister yeah. for this sequence and they spent uh, weeks working out that, that, so that they could do the reflection coordinating their movements and it was never used so all that time was completely wasted. She does I mean she still pops up at the end in the yeah. in the factory but that that sounds like the um what is it is it duck soup the Groucho Marx thing in front of the mirror. Yeah yeah. But also you might like Alex that the gas station pumps out the front of the gas station feature Bethnic Petroleum logo, which is from the Abyss. Ooh, <laughs> that one's for you. Like I've got that. a better one for you later. That's great. <laughs> so is so John Connor, when he's talking to Arnie in the parking lot, um, just before they go and rescue Sarah, he's, he's saying to Arnie, I, you know, I order you not to kill anyone, so you now can't kill anyone from this point on in the film. Mm. Is that showing that that's, the guy, that's why he's a good leader? Because he's compassionate. Yeah, he's got, he's got this moral compass that the mother lacks in, the, in, in a scene so coming up. So where did he learn that from? Because you learn that sort of thing from your parents, don't you? Like... Do you? I mean, nature versus nurture. It's a, okay. it's a big question, yeah. isn't it? But because she's taught him to be like to to be a survivalist. Mm-hmm. But where did he learn? Not from her, because she's quite surprised the the moment in in Miles Dyson's house. Yeah, when she realizes why he's come and what he's done, and how she is different to him. She's lost her humanity, but John has this inherent humanity about him. Yeah. So, like you say, she goes to kill Dyson. So she she has a bad dream, and then she turns into a fucking Terminator. We've uh, we've already taught the Terminator at this point. Um, Hasta la vista, baby. John's oh, yeah. taken the time to teach him that. Cameron talks about, you know, when he wrote I'll Be Back, he was just writing a line in it. He never thought it was going to be go on to become what it was. He does say he was never sure about this. He was a bit worried because he was writing a little bit of a catchphrase. Yeah. It's a bit for, it's a bit broad, I think, some of that for stuff. For Arnie here. And he, he was really pleased that it, it landed the way it did because he thought, you know, this is one of those things where it, I'm so aware of what I'm doing. I suppose it's a bit like a causal time loop because before it was a thing, it wasn't a thing. And then in the playground, I was like, Hasta la vista. And you're like, what's that a thing from? And then you see it, you're like, oh, that's wicked. But <laughs> when Edward Furlow's in the car and he's like, and we say Hasta la vista, you're like, no one says that. No one's ever said that. <laughs> yeah. But because but it's American, now. you probably, when you're sitting in like, in like the suburbs of Leeds going, that I is what they're they saying in America. They say. That is definitely what they're saying in America right now. I must start saying it. Hasta la vista, baby. I just saw this movie in America. Well, movie. he's living in Mexico. He lived in Mexico, though, where people would have literally said hasta la vista. Hmm? He's True. just added the baby. Yeah. To be yeah. fair. Yeah, and also Sarah, uh, Sarah's uh, Mexican has probably improved uh, a lot from the very end of uh, Terminator, where she has to look into a guidebook to go, yeah. gasoline, por favor. You know that. Yeah. You, it says gasoline on the pumps, and you, I'm you pretty know, sure please. everyone knows por favor. You don't need to go, uh, one second here. Uh, gasoline, por favor. I was re- really through, but I thought she was going to ask for directions, like really specific, like, I'm lost, can you help me? She just says, yeah, gas, please. Ridiculous, ridiculous. So when she goes to kill Dyson... There's a lot of, in that scene, that we've done we've done Terminator, but in that scene, there's a lot of her going, what did he say? Yeah. What did he say? <laughs> what did he say? You're like, you get away with two of those and it's like, find a different way to get this information across. So she's really doing it. That She really is going to kill Miles mm. Dyson. She, she just kind of misses, um, but she is going to kill him, definitely. Yeah, she she is the Terminator now. They yeah. even actually, when she's in the car, she's got the glasses on to go to kill him. They play a bit of Terminator music for the first time over her. Yeah. So we're watching the T-800 gain humanity while we're seeing her having completely lost hers. Yeah. And it's, it's really great. So, so cool. like I say, you know, it's this mirror image. It's really interesting the way they flipped it in that way and suddenly... And then because she's riffed on motherhood, like there is a um, a clear line of feminist critical thinking, which is that men 
do these things that they do because there's an innate jealousy over the ability to, which I'm not saying I buy into, but, you know, there is an argument that there's some of the frustration and the jealousy and the rage about not being able to create life in that way is what leads to an outpouring of whatever, in other ways, artistically even, is not that, necessarily. Is that the men like you speech that she gives? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So she's just riffed on that. The one that I did at the start about creating yeah. a hydrogen bomb. Yeah. Yeah. So she's riffed on that. But then it is, I think it is the kid, Dyson's kid, that makes her stop, isn't it? Yes. Like, so that, which I like. Please don't kill my daddy. Yeah, yeah of course. No, and he's, yeah. he's like going to take one for his dad. Like, he's, it was, yeah. Yeah, he's a brave little kid. Yeah, Joe Morton, who plays Dyson, does a very good scared face. Oh though. my God, he's amazing. Mm. He's so good. He's a brilliant actor. Yeah. So he teams up with the gang, basically, because they, they sort of talk him through it and they're like, look, three billion deaths. And he's like, yep, definitely, let's destroy everything. Well, I, uh, on the commentary, there's someone compared him to Frankenstein, but a Frankenstein who gets to fix his creation rather than sort of see it go out into the world. And I would have quite liked it if he'd had a moment where it looked like he was going to change his mind. I think so as well. I, I think... Because uh, yeah. it's his life's work or it's it's meant to be. And when, they in, when they're in the building and when they finally have all the barrels lined up, I just wish he was like, I really don't want to do this. Mm. The, uh... I, I wish that uh, after Sarah has tried to kill him with a sniper rifle, walked into his house, pointed a gun at him, and his kid has had to protect him before she finally gives up. Later on, I'd probably ask before I lit a cigarette in his house. Uh, <laughs> she's just fucking sitting on the kitchen, sitting on the kitchen counter, a food preparation area, puffing away. You would absolutely do. I that I would do after that. a few bits. But I'm just sort of thinking, you've just tried to kill this guy, and now you're smoking in his house. Uh, they don't look like they smoke there. I, was, I thought it was very rude. Vicky, yeah. Vicky mentioned the barrels. Um, those barrels have a sign on them. It's polydichloric euthanol. Uh, do you know where that chemical comes from? What movie, Alex? Polydichloric euthanol. It's a film that we'll never do on the podcast. Oh, okay. well, called awesome. Outland. Oh, we are doing Outland on the podcast. That's a really great reference that he's used. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course, we're doing Outland. It's brilliant. Peter Hyams, love him. Um, yeah, yeah. It's not you doing the film, it's Vicky. Yeah, it's okay. No, <laughs> sorry, sorry. go ahead. Uh, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, yeah. So, Mark, oh wait, what? that's what I was going to say. Go on. It's great after she does give Sarah does give that whole big speech. She goes, you know, you 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 can't you don't know what it's like to create something, have something growing so you to create life. Do you know what John's line after she gives that big speech is? Yeah, Mum, we have to be a little more constructive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, it, you, it's happening though. More and more, he's taking charge. Yeah, and, shut up, Mum. Uh, yeah. It's a little bit like, but shut up and you let's show you <laughs> it's good character work because he's becoming John Connor. He's becoming the John Connor. Yeah. So she, it's, it's awesome. it, it works perfectly because she's yeah. like, I created you. You are right. I feel better about that. The, the system's working, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so Miles dies. Which oh I do God. think this, this whole heartbreak. Yeah. Awful. I, I don't know how long. It's the, it's the little shadow breaths that he's given yeah yeah i really it, I, it, we'll get onto it later on but this whole cyberdyne assault has real matrix climax of the matrix vibes for me when they arrive at cyberdyne it's like neo and trinity storming yeah. the building where the agents are holding morpheus i think it owes it a debt the uh swat leader who says move it when he realizes what's about to happen yeah um you can't see all of his face i know who he is you do don't you because i mentioned him recently all right you say it no you say it it is your uh, brother. No. no, it's someone. It's I, I, can, I can I can give you a clue. So we mentioned in Total Recall, a famous TV actor who was in Total Recall, oh, another Arnie film. Cameron Thingy, um, it, Thingy. It's Hank from Breaking Bad. Yeah! 
Oh, So he was in Arnie films twice in two years. That's amazing. Yeah, in little roles where no one noticed him. Oh, I love yeah. him. Love I, I'm not sure about a silent alarm that also broadcasts alert on every computer screen. <laughs> sure, surely if someone's in the building, you don't want to know that they've triggered the alarm. It shouldn't be like, alert, alert. Look at all these flashing things on this TV screen. That's a very good point. Um, so yeah, a massive shootout. Sarah, John and Arnie are out. I mean, he can't kill anyone. Is it? It's it's fine, but it's a bit. I, I don't want police officers to be killed, but a, a lot of people are getting shot in the legs. Yes, um, which ugh, it's it's okay, it's fine. It's uh, for the greater good, Vicky. But he yes. does the minigun scene. I remember that's obviously as a kid, you're like, this is incredible. I don't think I'd seen a minigun. I don't think I'd seen Predator at this point. Maybe I had. Anyway, the bit where he doesn't hit anyone in the legs in that scene. He shot people in the legs. Uh, when he's leave, leaving, uh, but yeah, when because it get, he gets naught point naught. No, but the decimal point is weird, isn't it? Because it's a bit weird. It's is, like what is point, what is point four of a casualty? <laughs> it's like, like, yeah, like I, did, I mean, is it if it's above point five, might they die? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's, yeah, they're in critical care. Yeah, probably. So we're off to the steel mill now. Help me out because. We we've and we've picked up in this sequence a truck of liquid nitrogen. It's a bit convenient. Yeah. Isn't so it? did that? Does that? I want to be gentle on the script, but if that's a coincidence, that's and also no, huge massive coincidence. We're going to a steel mill, so the yeah. two things that it's, would cancel each other out. I've written also, convenient twice. So the um, liquid nitrogen, it's it's not picked up. It is just a coincidence, isn't it? Well, maybe it's going that's to the, maybe it's going to the steel mill. But this all feels very much like two Death Stars in Star Wars to me. Wow, what do you what do you care yeah. when a helicopter flies under a bridge for real? Yeah. Amazing. I, I don't amazing. know if you can see this or if this is because I ended up what, the commentary I watched was on the extended cut. But you can see in that that the the T eight hundred in the helicopter has four arms. T one thousand. Sorry, the T one thousand has four yeah, arms. I've seen a still of it. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So he's controlling the helicopter with these arms, and then he's shooting with the uh, with the. Arm. But you can't see it properly. And if they've gone to the trouble to create that, show me a shot of yeah, it. I yeah, would, that would be that would that would be really weird yeah, and it's uncomfortable. Out his, at the they're same they're time. coming out of his stomach. Well, he should be an uncomfortable character, though. Oh, yeah. oh that's so funny, because I watched Naked Gun two and a half last night where she slaps him with a third hand. <laughs> so that's why you're asking us for, for next week's film. Yeah. You, you... I've run out of movies. I'm re-watching <laughs> Naked Gun two and a half. Should have watched the football. <laughs> um, the T-1000 freezes and shatters. That's the Stan Winston model. Um, the yeah. look on his face is amazing. This is the bit I remember the most. Like the look, He, he looks like he cannot believe what yeah. has happened which is brilliant but this is the brilliance of Stan Winston so we could have created that effect and I think we should do it for Halloween because how that was done it looks expensive they taped tinsel to Robert Patrick and then sprayed him with fake snow wow that's how you get the frozen look <laughs> and the other bit's a bit tougher they then um, did the same thing to a double am- amputee and that's how they made his leg snap off yeah but um, and, and then when he explodes he's just filled with um, chrome shards and glitter Glitter. It's just normal oh, glitter. That's nice. Yeah, it's, so it's the same beat as where the T eight hundred is killed in the Terminator, though the fake death of the villain just yeah. before it's this revealed. Is a, yeah. This is a nitpicky thing, but because we've coincidentally picked up the liquid nitrogen and coincidentally we're in a steel mill, he can reform, mm. and the T one thousand is no worse off for what just happened to him. So well, he's glitching, so that's the thing. He he there is a weakness suddenly because okay. you know he touched the iron bar and it starts coming up his hand. Yeah, so. There's something wrong. So fun, suddenly there is a weakness to him. Oh, is that why he's sort of like, you yeah, know, across his... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The glitches. I, so, so I didn't really say, I thought he was just like readjusting. No, he's like, malf- he's, it's making him malfunction. I definitely missed that. Huh. Um, and so then we've got a fight in an industrial setting as we had before. Arnie is bested a couple of times, which is a very weird feeling. 
um, because we feel like he's going to die, but he's a goodie. Um, and then the T-1000 gets to Sarah and she's pinned by her shoulder and he says, call to John so that he can imitate her voice. And he's got her by the And he's like, I know this hurts. <laughs> and then he goes for her eye. So this, I've only just understood it as I was writing the notes. So he's, he's completely misunderstood humanity because the pain to her does not matter. Like after everything she's been through, as fucking if she's about to call to her son to get him killed. She's not going to give him what he wants mm. after everything, after all this. Mm. Um, but then she says, fuck you. So is it because she says, fuck you, that he can then imitate her? Because how would he then appears as her and it's her twin in real life. So there's two Sarahs. Yeah. So how did he do her voice without her saying what he no, wanted it to she, say? No, because she spoke. So she but also he's, kind t- of... he's touching her, so that's how he can become her. And so, yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's got her voice now. Yeah, I don't know if he needs to hear her voice. Does he need to hear her voice to imitate her? So why is he asking her? I think he's just trying to get her to lure John. Yeah, he's trying to get her to lure John. If he can already imitate her voice, he'd just do it himself. Uh, Why does he need her to say it? Yeah, Maybe he can't imitate her voice until he's he's in her body. Maybe. That's fine. I just, at the time, I saw the scene for what it is, which is her saying, you've misunderstood this very much. He needs her to speak so he can copy her or to be in her body so he's got her vocal cords. Okay. That's what I'm going to go with. Yeah. And I mean, I wasn't keen on this. So Arnie is impaled and he's dead. And then it's like, oh no, he's fine. He's got a spare battery. Uh, yeah, that's a little bit convenient. But you know, you want him to die, you know, you know, the uh, and then come back from the grave to save the day. The bit I, I always, that always bothered me, and I don't know whether it was something Cameron, if he'd made a, his own Terminator 3, had planned to come back to, but it just seems a, a weird moment where his arm gets torn off in those cogs. Mm. And so you've got pretty much exactly what was left from Terminator 1 mm. all over again in the factory. And so when he destroys himself and the CPU and is lowered into the, mm. the, the molten pit, that arm is still there to Very be found. Oh, no, don't they, they throw, throw the in. arm They throw the yeah. arm no, in. No, they throw the arm in that they found at Cyberdyne ah. and the microchip processor. His arm gets oh. ripped yeah, off yeah, no. in those cogs and no. he just pulls off. But you're probably away. right. He is... He is- yeah, he's leaving the same setup, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's just leaving. in case. Exactly. <laughs> Honestly, I think you know that's it's too weird not to be mentioned because they make a big deal of making sure everything is in there, and you're like, apart from the fucking arm that was left in the cogs. Yeah. So Sarah nearly saves the day, but it's on his movie, so uh, she can't. So the T1000 is like cleaved in half, and then it's blasted into molten metal, and it's writhing and screaming, and all the people that mm. he's imitated. It feels now, quite the thing then. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Now, I would say, I, w- I asked myself, like, why is this? Why is it screaming? It's a machine. It shouldn't have an emotion. But I wondered if maybe it's had a good time and like has enjoyed what it's done and has learned and is quite gutted to be checking out in this way. Because in theory, in, the, in this universe, it should fall into the metal and maybe there'd be some computer noises, but it's screaming, firstly in pain, but also like with disappointment and it's been thwarted and it's not going to get to do what it wanted to do. But it's, it's also failed at its mission. Uh, and also, I think... I think we've got to assume there are certain lines that the T-1000 says that implies that it has an understanding of pleasure. Like it's been programmed in some way to enjoy this, to make it a better killer. Like when the police motorcycle rides up and he goes, that's a nice bike. It's like, why why would you say that? Mm. What's, Mm. What's that? Unless you are seeing this is a useful tool to me to carry on 
this mission that I'm enjoying. Yeah. Classic Cameron here, though. The, the sound editor had pulled together some animal screams and squeals to use there. And Cameron listened to them and said, no, no good. And he just made the noises himself. Did he? <laughs> He's classic Cameron. <laughs> I can do it better. Anything so an animal him, can do. That's him, you're hearing. lion? No, <laughs> I'll <him>. do it. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, Arnie gets a bit emosh um, and sacrifices himself Me to save the world. I didn't. But I, I like that Sarah gets that moment because they are both heroes. So if she can't have the moment that pushes the T-1000 into the metal, then she gets the moment that saves the world. It's the thumbs up that does it. Gets me every time when he gives <laughs> oh, a bless thumbs him, up. Yeah. Um, and it is quite dad. I mean... I wrote this down and then I thought, is it weird? The way he says to John, doesn't he say, he says, I have to go away, <laughs> which is a quite a dad thing to say yeah. because it's um, it's not it's simplifying the truth. Uh, but I'll be back yeah. in first Genesis and then Dark Fate. <laughs> so what So what? What Bill Wisher wrote for this scene was a callback, actually, because I don't remember earlier in the film, John asked the Terminator, are you afraid? Mm. Even, not even of dying. And um, in this scene... Wisher wanted John to uh, when they real when he realised what he's got to do. John would ask him if he's scared, and the Terminator says yes, and then jumps in. Oh, and that's like that. how he dies. And Cameron said to him, "It feels wrong. I think there's more emotion to be mined here. Let's re let's rethink it." Mm. And so that's why we got this scene. Although they realised when they were testing it, people didn't understand why the Terminator wasn't just jumping in. Right. Why it was happening so slowly. And so it's actually in post that they did. Um, he's not on, you can't see his face when he says, I, I cannot self, yeah. I cannot self terminate. So uh, that came out of a test screening. Wow. Okay. That's so good. those things can be good. Oh, no. I mean, <laughs> these guys, these guys swear by them. Uh, and then we're out. Sarah says, if a machine can learn the value of human life, maybe we can too, which is heavy and uh, also true. It's a shame we didn't get the alternate ending, though. Have you ever watched <laughs> You sent it to me. I do you remember a little while ago. Yeah, you yeah, were like, yeah. what the F is this? I'd never seen I only saw it about six months ago. Yeah. It's the most balmy thing <laughs> you've ever seen. It's like, how, what, you shot this with a view to at some point, including it, it's set in the future. And John's an adult and Sarah's an old woman and they're in a playground and she's watching him play with his son, her grandson, and she does this voiceover and you're like, this is hideous. This is not... Because of the ageing makeup, but... Just that, I... I, I need, looks I, weird. It, yeah, no, the, the ageing makeup. I mean, it does look a bit like she looks now, but it's... it's. Oh! Doesn't she... There's a line in it like, you know, something about Michael Jackson. She's The voiceover talks about Michael... I can't remember it. You need to watch idea. it. Yeah. It's... it's um. Yeah, it's like, but it's the playground from earlier, and it's back to normal. Yeah. But Cameron said he took it out because he, not because we were laughing at it, because he <laughs> felt it made it all too convenient. He said, if the future is changeable, then the battle must continuously be fought, because the battle between good and evil is eternal. And so that's why he got rid of it. But I do, in terms of the ending, I do like the fact that we've had two Christ-like moments in this film, with the Terminator and Dyson both living, both dying, so we can live. Mm -hmm. So he, he goes back to that well twice. But I think it works both times. They're both really emotional death. Mm. Um, that's it. We're out. Would you like to do the bits? Dun, dun, yes. dun, dun, dun. Uh, what was your best scene, Alex? Uh, the, I'm not breaking it down into anything smaller than the entire attack on Cyberdyne systems. I think it's absolutely brilliant. That whole sequence or the helicopter flying under the bridge. I never get over how awesome that is. Or the truck and motorcycle chase or the T-1000's death. Or Arnie's death. Any one of those. And I you? really love this movie. <laughs> uh, I think I'll go Arnie's death, which I wouldn't have thought of coming into this one, but I, I found it, it really got to me this time emotionally. And I think it's a really unexpected way to end this spectacular film. 
Uh, especially watching it back to back with Terminator. If you told me that, you know, the next film, this guy's, this character is going to make you cry, basically, when he dies, you would have said, no way, That's Jose, yeah. hasta la vista, baby. Mm-hmm. Vicky, I love, gasoline, por favor. <laughs> I love the look on Edward Furlong's face in the Galleria when the when the roses fall away and there's the massive gun and then there's someone else. I think that's mm. brilliant. I love Hasta La Vista and the shattering and the remorphing. But uh, yeah, the death of both Terminators in the steel mill is the best bit. Your most valuable whatever, Chris. I mean, there's a lot to choose from here. You've got Linda Hamilton, you've got Arnie, you've got Robert Patrick, you've got Stan Winston, you've got Dennis Murin, who we haven't mentioned from ILM, who was doing all these digital effects. But I think it's got to be James Cameron. I mean, this is all him in a way that even the first film wasn't uh, because of technological limitations. So, yeah, I'm giving it to Big Jim. Although, I mean, obviously then I've got to credit everyone else that he might have nicked stuff from. <laughs> Jimbo. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I almost I almost want to say Arnie again. This is, this is a role that he just, it is his best role. And I know that's sort of a double-edged sword because he's playing a machine and it's like, and yet him playing a machine, he is absolutely brilliant at. But he's just the transformation from one to two to be, like you say, so likable in this is great. But I, I genuinely, I think Edward Furlong, is one of the greatest children on screen I've ever seen. It's so natural. He's so likable. I thought he was cool as well. And uh, yeah, I'm giving it to Edward Furlong. That's nice. Uh, I'm going to give it to Linda Hamilton because the transformation is just nuts and you buy it and it's mad. And she's basically chewing the place up. And obviously the physical strength of her is a big thing, but the, there are other ways you could have shown that journey, but she, you just meet her and she's it. And it's it's... It is bonkers. Um, so her. Uh, what would you change? Did you bother watching Dark Fate? <laughs> no, no. I, this I, is why. This is why I gave it to James Cameron actually, because you realise how much he influence he potentially had on her when you see her performance in that in Dark Fate. Yeah, I read some interviews around it for the prep for this, and I don't want to see it. No, no don't. don't. No. People saying, "Oh, it's the best one since the second one. Oh, it's actually quite good." It's not. It's a piece of crap. With every <laughs> new Terminator movie that comes out, and I say comes out like there's going to be another, there probably won't be, not for a long time. But with every new Terminator movie that comes out, you realise that T three Rise of the Machines is actually not that bad. 100%. It makes it look a lot, lot better. You saw the go, next best one. Poor Jonathan Mosto, like competing with James Cameron. Everyone was like, "Oh my god, it's not the same." And you're like, "Look at what other people have and done." Yeah, every though. time you get dingbats going, "Oh no, this is actually the best one since the second one," and it never is. <laughs> no. no. It's better than Genesis. <laughs> Take from that what you will. <laughs> uh, what would you change, Chris? Okay, so I get what they were trying to do here in terms of the incredibly important character of John Connor starting out as a normal bratty kid. Um, and it works much better here than actually they did in Phantom Menace. That's exactly what George Lucas did. You know, the, the, the most important person in the world, the most evil person in the world starts out a bit of a brat. Um, but while Edward Furlong's a better actor than Jake Lloyd, I still don't think he's great. So I'm going against you, Alex. What? I mean, just that, like that scene where she he realises that um, his mum's gone to kill Dyson. She's going to blow him away! And it's like, <laughs> oh no. Some of those line, line readings kill me. Sometimes I think he's good, but sometimes he's great I think he's, he's, like, he's like, put your leg down, put your foot down. Oh, yeah. Sometimes great. I think he's really bad. So I, I actually think he is the weak link here. So <gasps> I, I am... I'm re- no, it's like a T-1000 being shot. <laughs> and I've just recast... Uh, James Cameron could do that better. Uh, I've just recast Edward Furlong. Okay. That's what I've done. Wow, that's massive. Sorry, everyone. What about you? 
I'd change what Chris just said. <laughs> uh, Go back in time and... <laughs> I wrote down... I, I, I'm not going to say... Bump I honestly I honestly don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think it might be time to leave. <laughs> That's dark fate. That is a low point even for us. <laughs> I, I think he was talking over. Hopefully people didn't hear it. Yeah, what yeah. did he say? I'm not saying it really again. Really, bre- bre- I didn't I'm not hear saying, I'm, I literally I won't say those words. <laughs> no, I'll say it in the pub. Oh my god! I'll text you. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have a change. I honestly, this is like okay. This movie is. I'm sorry. I tried. I sort of went through it, and I was looking at it, going, "What would it's, I change?" It's unacceptable to come without a change. I can't think of well, something you just, to change. You come with something funny, then that's what I do. Yeah, try try and think of something funny quickly, Vicky. Right. You go. All right. So funny. Uh, I would like to have seen more flashbacks to show the progression of Linda, Sarah, as a new mum. And there must have been a shift. When you have a baby, you can't be the way she is. Like literally a newborn baby and she's on her own. So the nuclear playground scene, I'm taking that to be the way she was with her kid when he was like three or four. And then she was like, this shit is real. I need to start toughening him up and whatever. But to show the progression from, quote marks, normal mum to gradually teaching this boy the skills she thinks he will need to survive as well as to him distancing herself uh, emotionally from him in order to make him the toughest person in the world. So I would have liked some flashbacks where she's like normal mom and then she's like, shit, this isn't going to work. I need to become this person that she is. Mm. That's it. Alex? I, I really would like to know um, what a full house is when one of the twins gets a full house oh, on the on coffee, the coffee oh, yeah, cup. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like he's like, he's like that would, you know, must be my lucky day. I'm like, had he actually won quite a lot of money? I think I can tell you because you collect the cups. Right. And then if you get a full house, if you get yeah, a deck of cards, yeah, it's, it's poker, poker cups. Yeah. What would you get? I don't know. That's, right, a, okay. that's a great yeah. change. Though. No, well okay, done. I'm glad much. we gave you that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll edit that so I'll probably just drop that in. It'd be like, oh, well, well done. Yeah, yeah thanks very much. Yeah, yeah. Oh shit! That's me. Uh, I sort of folded up on my paper like great, uh, lovely business. Great podcast, everyone. Well done. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. So, uh, Chris, do you want to guide us through this thing? As uh, this would be your week if we hadn't had the bits boys. Yeah, I forgot it was my week actually because the bits boys did it. I forgot. Apologies, everyone. So, uh, who's going to go first? Alex is because I definitely know what he's picking. Uh, 100% I am picking Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Quite simply, it's the film that I enjoyed more. Uh, it's I, I literally just said I can't find anything to change about it. So, there's your answer. But yeah, it's it's the movie that I enjoy because it's got an accessibility that I love. I like its humour and Terminator is just a little too grim for me and feels a bit like an old movie where as Terminator 2 was released at a point in my life when it, I was sort of, um, well, when I was a kid and enjoying movies. <laughs> Does that make any sense? Sorry, I've, I've, you're, I've, you're I've, rambling a bit then. I was rambling. It's, it's, not, been a, it's not been a great end to the show, to the show for me. Uh, but, uh, you know, there you go. I'm, I'm, I'm England playing uh, that team that they didn't do very well in they, the second half with football reference. They can't all be winners. Ah, Mickey. <laughs> so I will say, I only wrote this this morning because I didn't know. And I was thinking, maybe I should oh. let you change, like, you know, influence me in the room. And then I thought, no, it's lazy not to write anything. So Can then, you tell? <laughs> I, I've, 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 do you want to know what's happened? I'll just be completely honest with you. Rather 
than trying to make up. I folded up my verdict and it's down there in that massive pile of paper <laughs> and I can't find it. And wow. I just, I don't he know what cannot, to tell you. He cannot speak off script. He's <laughs> like, it's like Rob <laughs> Burgundy. Like there is, there's not a word that I've said on any podcast we've recorded that I haven't written down beforehand. I, I'm Alex Say. I did want to see your notes and it had me saying, I'm Vicky Crompton. And I was like, what the yeah, fuck is that's, going that's on? Mad. That's mad. <laughs> I don't I, mean to shame you, but I am always going to say that. You don't need to have that in front of me. <laughs> Stop pulling back the curtain! <laughs> Come on, Vicky, do Sorry, your best. Okay, right. So, rewatching T1 as a grown up had a massive effect on me. It was still terrifying, but now that I'm not 13, I can see the magic of the script, the precision of the direction, how good a director James Cameron is, and the effects on a comparatively tiny budget. And to me, in T1, Arnie's more impactful because being the good guy, he's like, meh. Uh, But as a feminist hero, there is not much to touch Sarah Connor in T2. So it's a really difficult decision. Uh, But... So to be honest, this is always going to be a crap reason because there's not very much between them, is there? So my reason is T2 should be fucking good because it cost one million billion pounds, right? And it was, so you should be good. So T1 is so much better than it needed to be. And for the clarity of the vision, for the scale of the belief on a what is a tiny budget, effectively, it's the Terminator. T1. Whoa. Whoa. I was not expecting that. Chris. I was not expecting that. Neither was that. I. It's fallen to you on your sort of week. Sure. You're going to be deciding. So um, I love The Terminator and I thought this might be an Alien Aliens deal for me where both are five-star movies, but the shock and fear and awe of that original got my vote. And last time I watched T2 was about 10 years ago and I really felt like the effects had dated, the CG effects had dated in a way that the first film hadn't dated. But I love this one extend, that has the second one extends and expands the story I love that it gives us three badasses rather than just one. I love finding out that this is what James Cameron envisioned from the beginning. I'm so glad he was given the budget and the technology caught up uh, because Terminator 2 is my winner. Yay! That's the, that's the right result. Watching them back to back, it was like the reward, a spectacular reward after this tough, dark yeah. journey. And yeah, and, and those CG effects are st- I just do think still look a bit ropey these days but I really it doesn't don't. matter it doesn't matter it's weird I, I don't know whether it's because it is a time capsule for me and I just sort of I, I'm back like watching it for the first time but I do not mind the liquid metal stuff I don't think it's that bad really don't hey Terminator 2 Judgment Day is our winner it is now declared here on Clash Pod as the greatest Terminator film in history out of, out of the two ones that you would actually include in that sentence uh, right then Vicky you gave us a clue on Tuesday yep. for our movies next mm-hmm. week. Remind us what the clue was. It was Fear Thy Neighbour. Fear Thy Neighbour. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just explain what that laugh is. Vicky is very, very excited <laughs> to announce for these movies. She, with that she loves... She lo- she th- <laughs> I honestly think you, Victoria, think you may have selected the greatest pairing ever on Clash I'm really Pod. worried that no one else is going to think that. Um, so I'll tell you what you're doing. So, Alex, you're watching The Burbs. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant film. And, Chris, you're watching Arlington Road, which yep. I wrote a 10,000-word essay about at university, and I can't remember a word of it, but that's how much I loved it. Yes, go watch Arlington Road. I think that's a bit more obscure than The Burbs, but Sh- no. it's well, well worth a watch. Mm. So that's, that's your pairing for next week. Do your homework, the Burbs versus Arlington Road. If you haven't seen either, well, I think you're in for a treat with both. Uh, we'll be talking about those next week. So, once again, thank you very much. Congratulations to Terminator 2 Judgment Day. It is the winner. Thank you to the boys on the best bits for their suggestions. That was a whole lot of fun. Don't forget to subscribe 
subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. And also follow us at ClashPod on Twitter and Instagram back on Monday. Talking the burbs. Bye-bye. This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. That was all on a script. (laughs) (laughs) Go fuck yourself. (laughs) Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.